Hey everyone, welcome to Sports with Friends. This is The Magic, episode number 251. I always wonder, who would be 251? And the funny thing about the last two is we had two guests for the life of me. I don't think I could ever get on this show. Two of the busiest human beings in the sports industry, the great Kenny Albert and the great Ian Eagle. And they are literally doing nothing because they're at home. Today's guest is another busy guy, but he's busy in a different way, because while the sports world has paused due to the COVID-19, he has a newborn, so he doesn't sleep ever. And so we had to wake him up out of a slumber in the middle of the day to welcome in Ed Cohen, the radio voice of the New York Knicks. Ed, first of all, thank you for doing this. Congratulations. Do I have to get you a gift? What's the... what's (laughs) What's the etiquette here to have a newborn, a new father on my podcast? Seth, thank you. I, I will not guilt you into a baby gift. I promise. The gift is coming on with you. Uh, great to be with you. Uh, a little tough. You never want to follow legends like the two you mentioned in uh, Kenny and Ian, but uh, a pleasure, my friend. And yeah, we're my wife and I are, are busy. Uh, Benjamin Miles, he's uh, six weeks came into the world April 9th right in the in the middle of the pandemic and everything we're all going through but we're we're blessed we have a lot of time with him and um you know for that uh we are really grateful given the times yeah no it, it's amazing and I do want to ask you about that and I was reading and correct me if I'm wrong your wife's name is Emily correct is that, okay my sister's name is Emily so here's one thing we have in common we've probably both yelled at someone named Emily <laughs> And they've yelled at us. Exactly. (laughs) I love my sister dearly, and I know you love your wife dearly, but that name I'll never forget. I will know your wife's name for the rest of my life because that name I've yelled at a lot. It's a a beautiful name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful name. I don't know about the people, but I'm just just kidding, and I'll take that out. Um, You are the play-by-play voice on the radio side for the New York Knicks. Now, those games are on ESPN's New York affiliate, but you don't work for the New York affiliate. You work for MSG. You work for Madison Square Garden. So, in essence, you work for the same company as the franchise. Um, Your career is on the rise. You are great at that gig, but even if you have this gig for the next 30 years, you are getting all kinds of other opportunities, and you're doing all kinds of things. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what, because we can do the chronology of the whole thing and, and we'll get into where you came from and, and your upbringing. But at what point when you know that there's like a, either a, an MSG logo or a Knicks logo on your checks, is that something that you, is this something that you always craved? Is this something that you said, wait a second, I'm pretty good at this. Let me try this. How does it feel to know that what I just called you, you are the radio voice of the New York Knicks? You know, I'll be honest, Seth, every time someone brings that up or you think, hey, uh, look who I'm working for, look who I'm working with, Uh, look at this amazing franchise that I'm lucky to play a small part of each night. Uh, It's incredibly humbling. And you said, hey, you know, you could be doing this for 30 years. If they'll have me, oh mm-hmm. man, uh, longevity and, and doing a job in anything the right way, consistently, uh, the way you want to do it, uh, serving your audience, that's not easy to do. Uh, if I can make it that long, uh, 
great uh, because it really is unlike anything else. Uh, you know, listen, I was a kid. I was one of those who was 10 years old and knew what I wanted to do. I grew up in Westchester. Uh, I called games in high school uh, for public access TV. My first games were nice. uh, at Scarsdale High School. I was 15 years old. And to think, number one, that I'm the voice of a professional team in this market uh, never gets old. It's it's an incredible feeling. And, you know, I'd be lying to, to you if I said, you know, this was the job I wanted. But I think all things considered this, because you don't ever anticipate something like this will ever open up. I, I think when you go to college and you enter the industry, you always have dreams in the back of your mind. And this certainly was it. But you also become realistic. Hey, there are a lot of avenues to do this and make a living uh, in this business. And I think for me, it was always on the radar, but at the same time, uh, you know, I enjoyed all the other things that I had done. And uh, to that point, you kind of follow the path. You see where it takes you. Uh, little did I know there'd be an opportunity to uh, become the radio voice of the Knicks. You, you just, you don't envision that ever uh, being something that's going to open up going to be there. So I, I think it's every day is, is humbling. It's special. And uh, yeah, I can't imagine doing anything else right now. It's just so interesting hearing you. And I'm sure people who have been listening to this podcast on a regular basis, you just heard two people who are, you know, either in the peak or, you know, they, they are veterans. <laughs> They've accomplished all these things and you're just beginning. And it's not to say that you haven't accomplished anything. It's that, you know, you have your whole future ahead of you. And I think that's one of the fascinating things. Um, play by play. And you said that you were calling games when you were 15. Was it always basketball? Because what, what I've known about you before you got the gig is that you did a bunch of different things. And I remember seeing you on the Olympics coverage. And I don't think you dreamed of being a weightlifting announcer. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it, it, that guy will be episode 252, I promise. Um, but what about basketball? What, what was the, the drama? What was the sell? Uh, were you just as much a baseball or a hockey or a football fan or is basketball your thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, for me, Seth, basketball and baseball were, were probably always my two favorites, but I loved the Rangers of the mid nineties. I loved uh, following the NHL. Uh, I love the NFL. I enjoy a great college football game, even if, you know, outside of Rutgers and in the nineties, they weren't nearly what they became under Greg Schiano in the early two thousands. Uh, I think if there's anything on, I'll watch it. I just feel like uh, there's something about the drama, the story in any sport that, is exciting and always was for me. But I think the NBA specifically, and, and you know, I think as you get older uh, and you go to college, you start to really, um, you know, become a college basketball fan. At least that was the case for me, uh, where it really took off. Um, but I'd say hoops and baseball. Uh, you know, I called mostly basketball games in high school. Um, it was always, you know that was always the team. You know, we go to the Jack Cameter basketball camps as kids. And here's a guy who coached NBA players back in the day. And there were a lot of really good players who came through Westchester over the years. Um, so I think for me, that was always um, 
the team to cover. And again, I know we're, we're speaking about an experience when you're 15 years old. Uh, I remember calling a baseball game in high school, believe it or not, when um, we had a little mini bus that we set up in the teacher's parking lot along the first baseline. And there were two chairs and a camera person. And if there was a foul ball that came whizzing by, uh, one of us would have had our skulls cracked and fallen <laughs> off the bus. So, so there was that. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, we were huge baseball fans and we actually took family road trips around the country once a summer for three or four years and actually hit all 30 ballparks. Uh, it was wow, like that's a impressive. dream of my dad's to see the country. I was a huge baseball fan. My mom said, she was like Annie Kinsella, like whatever, sure. whatever you guys need to do, like follow your dreams. I'll be there. <laughs> and my brother too, was, was six years younger. So um, that was always a vehicle sports to see the country, to meet people. Uh, I think I, I learned a lot in, in those times, those experiences. I think that that shaped, uh, you know, my fandom, my interest, my passion for sports casting, all that stuff uh, influenced it greatly, really did. It's so funny that you've been to all 30 stadiums because for years I have been to 26. Wow. But there are four stadiums. I And now I think it's moved. I think it's now because new Minnesota and new Atlanta I have not been to. Um, so I was 26 and then I was 24. And I've never been to Toronto. I've never been to Texas. I've never been to the ballpark in Kansas City, but I've been to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's it um maybe it was 27 it's it, it, and it's just funny because the last 10 years i've been predominantly nationally so i didn't see that's why i've never been to toronto never been to texas and i remember i turned down a trip to texas once because and not because i would ever turn down an assignment it was i had to choose <laughs> and i chose san francisco over texas and again i would apologize to anybody listening in texas no but no i would good... make that decision every time they were like yeah hey, you can do this series or this series and i was like i'll take san francisco no problem yeah it's a summer it's a beautiful ballpark it's the bay i mean and they have a new one so i wouldn't have seen it anyway right because they're like, opening like a new one. stadium in arlington uh it just you didn't have a it didn't have a dome it was too hot it was it's way yeah it's it's way too hot that's why the 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 baseball plan the original plan of Arizona and Florida was one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard uh and it never materialized but you know baseball's different than the other sports because you can have all the, the 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 weather factors and you know if you've been to Phoenix Arizona in July yeah it's 120 degrees and they weren't talking about using the Diamondbacks ballpark they were talking about using spring training facilities and they would melt. The, they, they would forget fans. The seats would melt. It's so hot there. And I could I was dreading that idea. And I all I, I, I worried more about heat stroke than COVID-19. I was like, that's crazy. Um, and I don't, I'm not in love with their new plan uh, just because I don't think the rules, because before Kenny Albert was on, Tori Hunter and Jock Jones were on. Mm -hmm. And I asked them point blank. And I don't know if it was on the podcast or like when we were setting up, but I said to them, I said, do you think the players will respect the quarantine rules? And his response to me was, he said, half the clubhouse will be on Tinder during the anthem. Wow. And once I heard that, I've been very anti baseball being in their homes. And I like the NF, uh, the NBA plan. Um, 
only in the sense that it just sounds like they're going to be on this isolated place. And even if they leave it a little bit, um, if they use discipline there, it's easy to keep track of people because they're going to be the whole league is going to stay in one hotel and or one or two hotels. And they're all isolated in the Disney campus. Um, I actually like the NBA's plan. They're all risky, but I like the NBA's plan more than I like any of the other sports. Yeah, what what I'll say is I give the NBA a lot of credit. Uh, what Adam Silver's done, the Players Association, the star players in getting that conference call together a couple of weeks ago, it just seems like everybody is on the same page. And if it works and it goes through, no matter what the format is, uh, it's because the meeting of the minds uh, led to the right, prudent, safe decision. If it doesn't work, I think it's because they feasibly say it's just not safe. And we're not at that point yet, but but I think I'm confident in knowing that whether it happens or it doesn't happen for the NBA, and it looks like it will, uh, it's going to be because they pulled together the resources and made the absolute proper decision. No, it's good. Good for them. Uh, good for them. And and just to clarify, and this is more for the audience. I know you know you you follow this stuff very closely. The NHL plan, I like. I'm not oh going out of my way to support it because I'm a New Jersey Devils fan, and they're not invited. <laughs> so, so okay, but even like okay, I'll I'll make the parallel, and I can bring it into this. Like the New York Knicks are not a playoff contender right now, but if they all come back and they play the rest of the regular season, even if it's just five games, you'll have five games and you a Nick fan in this market, it will get a chance to see their team on the floor again. And a devil's fan won't, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and six other teams too. There's, there's six other, the, the, the last six teams in the, the last seven teams in the NHL are not coming and they're going to change their rules and they're going to do a 2014 tournament I understand reasons why. And part of it is the health part part because of the idea that it's seven teams. That's 30 less, you know, 30 times 210 less players. And the NBA, I think has an advantage because they're so limited in the amount of players. The fact that rosters are smaller and the fact that everybody knows everybody, and it really is just a tighter community. I actually think that's a good thing. No, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, Listen, I think, fans of any team uh, taking nothing away from the reruns of the 86 Mets and Rangers Devils from the 90s and uh, perfect games on yes and some World Series titles for the Yankees. Uh, Live sports right now in any form. Uh, Just look at the golf the other day uh, with Brady and Manning and Tiger and Phil. Uh, It was captivating in, in a lot of ways. It has been over two months. I think any games right now, uh, and I think the players sense that. I really do. I think there's just a yearning and a hunger to get back in, in any form, if it's safe, if it's feasible. The one thing about that that I stress and I look at, um, and I think this is where the Michael Jordan documentary uh, played a role, is sports can be very healing. And there are a lot of people who are dealing with different degrees of mental illness, yes. uh, whether it's uh, anxiety or depression or any of the number of ailments. And I have no bias or prejudice to any of them. 
And I have no problem if anyone's listening to this that uses this podcast as a distraction. I, I respect that and I appreciate it. But I think that that's what it is. It's not so it trends on Twitter. And I'm trying to explain that the Michael Jordan documentary, as entertaining as it was, it's not the greatest documentary ever just because it has the highest ratings. There's literally nothing on. And I think even though all these sports are dealing with some level of risk, I think that the reward could be that I think we address something for those folks. And I, I, I worry about that because it's one thing to be quarantined. It's one thing to not be able to work. It's one thing to have parents and in-laws and you're, you know, you're living with your folks or whatever everybody's living situation is, they're all unique. And to not be able to at night put on a Yankee or a Met game or a Nick or Net game, like to not have that is a massive loss. Personally, I'm, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I haven't missed it yet. I miss it for work purposes, but I've been so busy because I am lucky that I do get to work. But I also feel that with the added stuff of teaching homeschool, that my hours in the day, I don't have free time. I'm I'm behind. People are like, how did you not binge watch Ozark? I'm barely <laughs> through season one. I don't have time. I, and, and and the people on social media, and this is my little rant, the people, the, the two people that tick me off the most are the schmucks on the beach that, you know, that, that don't have any regard for this thing. And the people who uh, write on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram about how bored they are, because if you're if you're that bored, come teach second grade math, please come. You're more than welcome. Sit in my backyard and teach my kids so I don't have to. Yeah, I'll enlist you uh, for my son in about seven years there for second go. grade math, if that's we'll okay. It. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do fractions together. Yeah, I think you you bring up some great points, Seth, in the fact that I, I think all of this has, I hope, you know, and, and I put that as a disclaimer, I hope that this has given people the time to reflect and kind of pause for a sec, because speaking for myself, I think you look around and you realize what's really important. And I know that sounds very cliche and trivial, but when the world stops in many ways and you see people who are affected, uh, people who've passed away, families uh, that have been hurt and uh, people's livelihoods that have been put in jeopardy, uh, I think it it makes you appreciate what you have and maybe makes you think, Hey, what do I need to prioritize in my life when things do get back to normal? I think we all feel that way. I think even now, I mean, we live in the city on the Upper East side and uh, people at seven o'clock every night are still out cheering and uh, banging whatever metal they have in their apartments uh, for the first responders and the people on the front lines. And we've been doing that for almost three months. And I think the other day, it almost caught me off guard uh, because it feels like this has been going on forever. And it, it hasn't been, uh, but it, it's been a pretty good amount of time. And we're not by any means out of the woods yet. Uh, this is something we're going to have to really see through and do everything we've been doing up until the end, whenever that is. Uh, so I think you're 100% right. I think uh, this time has given us all a chance to pause, realize what's important. Um, at the same time, too, I think we also, um, from the standpoint of, hey, what shows are we binge watching? Or uh, 
what's the void of sports like right now? I think it makes us appreciate those things that we love uh, because they're not the most important thing right now, but I think that they are uh, certainly elements in our lives that we miss. That's for sure. Well, and the NBA is in a really interesting spot because, you know, the, the numbers have come out and 70, 65 to 70% of the NBA's revenue comes from the playoffs and the finals. And so if you cancel that, that's a massive financial loss. And don't forget what happened in China uh, with Daryl Morey and, and Adam Silver and all of that stuff. Um, regardless of where you stand on that, that, I'm not going to put you in an awkward spot, but just this idea that that was a massive financial loss for the league. They need to recoup something. And just to be able to get that TV money, I think is key. And the fact that all the players have been paid already. So that's not part of the fight. And it's not a question of, you know, like, like the baseball thing is ugly from so many different levels. And I don't care because uh, let people hate the baseball players. It, it, they'll, they'll get over it. What I worry about is everyone's in their home parks and you could be in Minnesota and then you're going to Milwaukee and everyone's like, well, they're going to play only in your division. Yeah. Ask the Colorado Rockies. How many bus rides are they going to be taking? Mm. They're going to be on airplanes every day. And that's hard. And it's the nature of the beast. And I'm not blaming baseball for being an outdoor sport, but their hands are tied and I think for the players, I understand. I think that when players, when games are canceled, and right now the NBA has not canceled a game, but when the games are canceled, a player should make zero. Because if an owner makes zero, the player makes zero. But if the player is playing, he's not running at 70%. He's running at 100%. He should be paid 100%. And I, that, that's where I stand. And, and, and I've, I, I've supported that. And I've told players that I, I, I stand on the zero part so that if you and if you think about it from a baseball standpoint and just do the math, what's the highest payroll in baseball? Two hundred forty million. Well, they're not playing more than 80 games or 82 games. Fine, It's half. So all of those payrolls are one twenty five under what I'm saying. What owner can't afford one twenty five? What? Yeah. What? What you owner know. can't afford that? Like, we're, we're, I'm, I don't count other people's money as a general rule, but if that's the reason you can't get baseball going, fine. I just want the safety of people. Yeah, I think obviously the big word that's been thrown around, and rightfully so, it's, you know, it's really unprecedented, right? No one's been down this path before. And I, I hear what you're saying, I think, at the very least. And, and right now, it, it goes beyond what the states are saying, uh, it is sport to sport, but I think each one, you mentioned baseball, being outdoors, being spread out, having not started its season versus basketball, uh, you can play inside, you can find a sterile environment where you can bring all the teams down to a certain place. Uh, their season's almost 70 games in. Uh, it's different sport to sport. I think they're, they're trying to figure it out, uh, the thing I think we all hope is that everyone's doing their due diligence and trying to make the best of it from both sides. One person that I, and I, I don't want to do this whole show on coronavirus, but, <laughs> but it always, it, it gravitates toward that because I, I'm curious to get your perspective and everybody's perspective. And, you know, I, I say the same thing, but one guy that you have worked very closely with uh, on the heels of this time with the Knicks has been Mike Breen. 
And I will tell you, uh, Mike Breen, um, I don't really want to get into it on this podcast, but Mike Breen was a great mentor to me. Uh, I interned for Mike when he was the sports reporter on the Imus in the Morning show uh, back in 1994. And Mike Breen has been one of the nicest salt of the earth kind of people. And not only is he the voice of the NBA on ESPN and ABC, he's that guy, but he's also just this guy, Mike, and he's so kind. It must be how welcoming was Mike Breen? And I, I think I'm setting you up for an easy answer, but it should be noted what a good guy he is. We could do the next hour plus, if you'd like, on on just him. I'm only kidding. Uh, but Seth, I think you hit it on the head. Um, he's the voice of the NBA, but he represents so much more. And selfishly, you know, I'm so spoiled just to be able to work alongside him, travel with him, uh, watch him up close to see how he deals with players around the league, people, other broadcasters. You know, there's more than just the job description of, hey, you're the longest running TV voice of the NBA finals. There's a responsibility that comes with that too. You're telling the league story and you're doing it in a way uh, where you have to gain the trust of the people you cover, people around the league. And there are very few like Mike. He's just a special guy. Um, he's kind. He treats people with respect. He's willing to give the time to younger broadcasters. Uh, he's someone who I think uh, people who've been doing this 20 or 30 years gravitate towards him uh, to get his ear and his opinion on a number of things. And I think a lot of guys can relate to him, too, because Mike did it the right way. You know, he was uh, a radio reporter in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> he yep. covered school board meetings. He worked in radio for two decades before he really did mostly television. He was the voice of the Knicks on the radio. He can relate to radio announcers in the league. He can certainly relate to the TV voices in the NBA. And I think he's somebody who he understands who he is, but more than anything else, he likes making people feel great about themselves and i think if you ask anyone who's met him fans other announcers um whoever it may be i think that's a rare quality in people is they're able to make others uh feel good feel confident feel like they belong and you know many others i'm sure um aspire to do that but he's he's the real deal a model, a model. Used to be a role model. We have a special announcement here to make on the show, and it involves Spotify. How many of you have Spotify? You know, my daughter made us get Spotify because she wanted to listen to music, and then I found out something that really made me cool in my house. We are so excited to announce that Sports with Friends and my other podcast, Hall of Justice, is now available to stream free on Spotify. If you haven't tried listening there yet, it's free to download. Use Spotify on any device. It's a great listening experience. You go straight from listening to your favorite music, Prince, and switch right over to our podcast in the very same app. And when my phone is plugged into my car, my daughter can control the music with her app because we have the same account. Just search for our show, Sports with Friends, on Spotify and start listening free. 
And remember, it's totally free, even if you're not a premium member. All right, so tell me, uh, what are you, your mid-30s? 36. 36, okay, you're still a youngin'. Um, 36 years old, uh, you went to Ithaca, correct? correct? Now, Ithaca is a great school, and I, I went there and I applied there. Um, uh, if I was ranking them, it's in the top five. We're not going to get ticky-tack there because Syracuse is number one, but and I can only say that because I am an orange man. Um, but, you know, you have your Northwesterns and now, you know, Fordham's doing a big deal. And I understand that. But Ithaca is, is a great place. And it's so interesting there because that campus is right next to Cornell. So there's a lot smarter people just down the road. Uh, what was your uh, experience like at Ithaca? First off. Cornell kids never made fun of us, Seth. I mean, let's put that out there. You know, occasionally they, they call this IK and not IC for Ithaca College. <laughs> but uh, it was, it was a, a wonderful place to go to school. And I, I'm honored that you said top five because I tell kids all the time, there are so many great schools and one's curriculum and history and tradition that should not limit anybody uh, at whatever school they choose. You know, I was lucky uh, to find a place I loved. I, I did look at Syracuse. I went to Syracuse on a Monday and Ithaca on a Tuesday, did the drive down Route 13, actually sure. stayed over Monday night. Uh, a former camp counselor of mine was a residence director at Ithaca. So I actually stayed in the dorms, which nice. I think only helped my uh, my experience because how often do you actually get to really see the skeleton what of the a, school? What, yeah what a school's like and yeah you're going. going to the gym to the communication school you're walking around campus and you're you're back in the car so i think that was that was huge but it number one you walk on campus and it feels like home it's beautiful uh it just feels like that campus environment that you always envision not a huge school big enough and the other thing too and i'm sure you can relate to this because syracuse the the pedigree the educational experience new house waer it's incredible and it really might be second to none uh and i i say that with the utmost respect the alumni uh he just wants to come back on the podcast Let's <laughs> but but i i mean it sincerely um Ithaca is not Syracuse, but what it is, is a wonderful environment for a certain kind of student and a certain kind of person who wants to do this for a living. And I remember on the tour, they said, hey, you could be on air the first week you're on campus. I think the tour guide had done some sports reporting and he said, I covered the field hockey team. And I thought that was incredible. Right. Uh, he was you right. couldn't sniff that in your first year at Syracuse. So, yeah, there you go. But he was right. And I, I remember I did a piece on the football pregame show on the radio my first or second week as a freshman at school. I think I, I did a biographical piece on the senior center, Andy Sachs, right? Oh, and he was an offensive lineman. So my, my classic line towards the end of the piece was, although he doesn't record any sacks, Andy Sachs, you know, it is what it is. But you don't forget those things. It was an avenue to start 
and sure. to find your voice. Um, Ithaca, between, they have not one, but two radio stations, like Syracuse, um, 106 VIC, and then the more famous signal, which is 50,000 watts, 92 WICB. I was sports director at both stations. Uh, I DJed for a couple of years. I actually hosted um, as, as DJ Crazy Eddie with my buddy Matt Corsetti, who was MC Squared. We hosted the 50-hour <laughs> marathon. We stayed up 55 straight hours. Each hour was sponsored, and we raised money for charity. Um, nice. So we were able to do a little bit of everything uh, on top of work at ICTV, uh, which has a great tradition and a lot of shows uh, that have featured people who've gone on to, to wonderful careers. Uh, so I think you go to a school like that, yeah, it might not have the name of some others, but you really feel like it. if you want to do it and you're passionate, you could make it your own. And that's, that's how I always felt. And I think this is probably something you could speak to as well. I was able to go to school at a time where there were some really talented people my age who were there, you know. Uh, so, would, would our listeners know anybody? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, John Rothstein, college basketball insider. You, you, you went to college with him? I went to college with John. Uh, Brendan he's Burke. A, one, I, I'm huge. I'm a huge John Rothstein. Yeah, he's he's one of a kind. We, we, we still talk once or twice a week. Uh, Brendan Burke, TV voice of the Islanders, was a year younger. Sure, sure. yeah, yeah. Directors of the I don't same. know him personally, but yeah, he's a very good announcer. You know, uh, Brendan Fitzgerald is uh, one of the play-by-play -play voices now at the UFC. We had some older guys like Seth Cantor, uh, who's mm -hmm. an update anchor here in New York at Sirius and, and WFAN. Uh, some of the older guys, Jesse Goldberg, Strassler. just on a podcast with Seth Cantor. <laughs> there you go. Everybody Seth and podcast. Mike and Mike. Uh, so we had a lot of guys, uh, older kids who, who set a great example. And that was just my time. I think if you go further back, there's some great eras of, of announcers who were in school together at Ithaca. So I think when you work with people who are talented at a young age, it, it helps you uh, in ways you might not realize at the time. And that was certainly the case for me, no question. Uh, I mean, just because you, you, we have to do this, this is my machismo coming out. My year, uh, Andrew Siciliano from the NFL Network and uh, the DirecTV Red Zone. Yep. Uh, that's my 96th year. Uh, his roommate was Zach Zaidman, who uh, I keep trying to get on the podcast, but they're always keeping him busy. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding. And uh, Zach was for 14 years the sideline reporter for the Chicago Bears. And now he's the uh, pre and post game guy for the Chicago Cubs, which, boy, did he lose a bet. Um, uh, Craig Grealou is the Arizona Cardinals uh, reporter, works for the team. Sagar Magani is the AP reporter for the White House. Wow. Uh, this is my year. Like, this was all my year. And all your year. Yeah. All my, my 96th year. And the funny story about it, Larry Gatos is afternoon drive. Uh, he's well, a year older than me. Uh, afternoon drive at KTAR News Talk in uh, Phoenix. Pete Genesini, one of the uh, program directors at ESPN Radio. Uh, now he's in charge of ESPN Digital. He's uh, two years older than me. Like it's all. Dave Pash was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, and and so what? One of the things, WAR made a documentary recently, and uh, it goes through the whole history. And there is not one member that I just mentioned to you in that documentary. And we are boycotting it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
And we're, You're an outlier. We are. We will not support it. <laughs> and then it was really funny because they had a New York City uh, screening of it, and I couldn't go. I had to work, and they thought I was really mad. <laughs> I didn't know what to tell them. I I couldn't. I, I was like, no, 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 that was a joke. Like that's just a joke. But we boycotted it for a while, and I still I haven't seen you, it. I hope you've forgiven with time. I, yeah, this is Scott McFarlane, uh, who listens to this podcast. If you're listening, I had no bias against your documentary, although you missed. Come on, get Siciliano on. That doesn't have to be me. This is not about me. I've never, I have no ego whatsoever. But if you're going to have somebody, put Andrew on. That, that, that would be great. Um, and, 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 and I understand. And those people become your friends for life because you're going through the same thing and then you watch their paths yes. and you root for your people. And John Rothstein and I worked together uh, when we worked for t- then 1050 ESPN. Uh, and then he went on to CBS and he skyrocketed because my whole thing with John Rothstein is I didn't want to talk about college basketball in the middle of July. And he did. <laughs> and he found his niche. And that was, you know what I mean? Like I asked you earlier about basketball for him it's college basketball that that is a thing for him yeah, he, uh and no question about it he doesn't he, sleep he he breathes it and uh you know as his friend the only thing that's that's terrifying it, it's fascinating and it's terrifying have you ever gone to dinner with him yes okay <laughs> he barely, <laughs> you, you he barely pays attention but it was before but it was before this and i'm he, being honest with you it, it, it is it is it is easily one of the things that I'm telling you is it was before he became the college basketball insider. Right. And he was that motivated to, and he didn't even know what that role would be. And he grabbed it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like and social media happened right around the time that he blossomed because he, you know, 2009, 2010. You know, he became one of the first people to be a follow that you needed if you needed news. There are certain people that I will say you follow on Twitter because you have to. People follow you and me because they want to. You know what I'm saying? Like you have Nick's stories and you have, you know, you can take photos from all the arenas. And I have a personality and I have these podcasts and I can promote my stuff here too. But people follow John because John is, has info. It's the same thing you followed john Heyman or wojowski i i always butcher his name um uh uh john you know uh, ken rosenthal adam schefter all these guys and rostin's in that club i agree no no doubt um he he's special you can't you can't fake passion and john john has it you know uh he has it he's smart uh, he has terrific relationships they didn't just happen overnight i mean he really worked at them i mean i remember geez watching him over the summer canvas the new york area uh multiple mid-majors a day and that kind of grew to okay he now travels and visits camps in the big 10 for a week in the summer he might take a trip out west and he's developed this footprint and these great relationships in the game uh, where he can break news and he can provide insight because He's worked at it, and he started, geez, doing shows on WVOX in New Rochelle. <laughs> and look at what he's done now. It's just a, we could talk about so many people like this, Seth, uh, but it's a great example of, uh, hey, when there's an opportunity 
and you walk through that door and you just keep following that path and doing it the right way, good things will happen. One thing uh, before we wrap this up that I wanted to touch on with you is your connection to players. Um, In the NBA, it seems like the players are detached from the media because they have their own voice and better than another other sport. And it's a compliment to the players. It's not that they're jerks to you guys, but they don't need you to get a message across because every one of them, you know, one of the things I, I credit Adam Silver on, but I also credit the players on, you know what their personalities are. You probably know who they're voting for. You probably know things about these people and their characters. And I think that the NBA has become reality television and, you know, no offense to you, but I think the off season is much more exciting than the regular season because the courting and the where's LeBron going and where's Durant going and Kyrie Irving this and 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 uh, what's the dude that went to the Clippers, uh, Kawhi Leonard, that, you know, all of that. And that is great theater. And that's not always the case because competitive balance is not the greatest in that league. And I don't think the NBA cares. And I said it to Kenny and I said it to I in the last couple episodes. The NBA is about its stars. And as long as its stars are seen and heard from, there is a great, you know, the the brand of the NBA is skyrocketing. Having covered other sports, do you find that NBA players are just like any athletes? Do you have certain players that still are a lot of fun to talk to either on the bus or on the plane or in the locker room or at shoot around or on a practice day is there are you can give me names if you don't want to give me names I don't know and it's one of the things about sports that I don't know I know what an NHL locker room is now I know what a football locker room is and I know what a baseball locker room is but an NBA locker room it's been decades since I've been in an NBA locker room what's the culture like well, you know, I think in fairness and not to deflect this in, in any way, you'd almost want someone who's been doing this 30 years to say, what's an NBA player like now compared to 20 or 30 years ago? Uh, but with that said, I mean, I hear a lot of guys now who've been doing this a long time, Seth, they'll say it is different in terms of the access and what guys are willing to share. I think, like you mentioned, with social media, there is a way now for players to get their message across or connect on a regular basis in ways that were not there 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, LeBron James interacts with people and is able to provide his insights on what he thinks about the world uh, in ways that Michael Jordan didn't. And part of that's by choice, but part of that also is the avenues with which he had. So, uh, well, and I'll give that- you, I'll give you the players. Like, I was friendly with Lafonso Ellis, Antonio McDice, and, um, ooh, sorry, uh, Lafonso Ellis, uh, uh, Brian Stith, and, you know, this really bad Nuggets team. And then Gary Payton had an entourage. And uh, Gary Payton was like, I, and he was nice. And I, I, but I was never more than high bye to him because he had people all around him. And that was in the late 90s. And now it's 20 years later. And again, social media didn't exist then. Yeah, I think with any team, there's always that star, right? There's always that one person who, if you put 12 people around an audience, 
you know, there's one guy who everybody's clamoring for. And I think with that attention, sure, there's more security and there's more attention and maybe there's a need to have a life, if that makes sense. You know, you can't always live that way in the public eye. Um, and I, and th that still exists without a doubt. Uh, the 15th player is not living his NBA life the same way that, you know, Paul George is, you know, there are differences. I, I see differences in, you see the young guys come up and sure they're in a great spot. They have multi-year contract, uh, all of that, but they're still learning the league. I, you might see a difference in how they carry themselves year three compared to when they're rookies. And then you see guys who've been in the league nine, 10 years who understand how to speak to the media, know their way around, uh, know how to carry themselves when the games are over um, because they've done it for so long and they've done it under the public eye. I think that's the big thing. Uh, you might have a young guy who's 2021, 20, knows what he's getting into, but hasn't developed a comfort level under the microscope. I think you see guys, you know, 30, 31, uh, like great example with the Knicks is a guy like Taj Gibson. He's been in the league over a decade, uh, New York guy, uh, always fun to talk to. And you just see, he gets it. Uh, I'm sure he was a wonderful person to talk to as a rookie with the Bulls, but you look at him now as an example, and he has navigated the pros. He understands what it means to be a professional. And I think that's what you see, uh, with some of the older guys, um, you know, again, it'd be hard for me to speak to how open guys are with the media. Now, I think in locker rooms, sure. There are, are spots uh, in new arenas where they can take some time for themselves. That maybe wasn't the case, you know, back in the day at a McNichols arena or Boston <laughs> garden, right. Where it was smaller and you couldn't escape anywhere. Um, there are those places now, so it's it's a little more streamlined. But I think, you know, overall, uh, from a broad standpoint, I don't think there's ever been a time where the public uh, is able to relate to players uh, any more than they are now. And that's because of social media. But there's something that you don't have to just root, root, root for the home team. Um, and I think I, I, I wonder what the impact on the Knicks has been. Because, for example, when I grew up, you were either a Knicks fan or a Nets fan. And I was a Nets fan mostly. And I liked the Knicks and I loved the 90s Knicks. And I had a rule because all the Nets players, Charles Shackelford and Michael Ray Richardson, they were all getting pinched for drugs. And I was like, ah, forget this. I can't do the Nets anymore. And I moved over to the Knicks. And that was right when Jordan retired and, the, you know, 93, 94, 95. And you know, it was a magical time. I mean, Madison Square Garden was electric. And that building is still amazing. It's got the best acoustics in all of America, let alone sports. And there's something for that. But now with social media and with Instagram and Snapchat and all the ways people consume basketball, if I'm a kid in New York, if I'm 12 years old and I'm an NBA fan in New York, I could root for Giannis on one night and I'll find him. And I could root for Kawhi Leonard out West and I'll find him or I'm loyal to LeBron and I'll find him. And you're competing a lot differently that, you know, when I was in Seattle, you were a Sonics fan. That was it. But now you don't have to be just a Knicks fan because we have access to so much more. Oh, no doubt. I think that conversation comes up quite often with free agency. 
you know, and you mentioned the off season, the thought that well, that's back, why, right. Back in the day. Okay. Guys yearn to play in a big market because if they don't, they're going to land in a place where beyond their fans, no one's watching. Uh, not a bad thing. I mean, think about some of the great teams that have come from smaller markets over the years. You can go back to the Utah teams in the 90s as a real specific one uh, compared sure. to Chicago and the Knicks and the Lakers and Celtics. But yeah, I think with, without a doubt, now the game is so global. Uh, you could pull up any game on League Pass. Sure, that's probably impacted um, a lot of younger fans. I think it's also part of the marketing too in that guys have been marketed uh, across the board where, yeah, as a young fan, uh, you can uh, enjoy a player half the country away or on the other coast. Uh, I think that's it speaks to where the game has gone, where it's going, the growth, all of that. Uh, no, it's, it's not as regional and not as territorial as it used to be and, and probably isn't the way baseball still is. Uh, if, if you will. I, I know that's probably something that you've discussed quite a bit in your podcast. There's a, a difference in how the game's been marketed and um, allegiances, without a doubt. And I just wonder, you know, that we did an episode right before the new year where we talked about cord cutting because I'm, I'm, that's one of my passions. I, I think cord cutting is the future and, you know, Apple TV and streaming apps and all, all that stuff. And I'm fascinated by it. And the NBA, while the brand has never been higher, local ratings and national ratings were down uh, in television because not because of the brand and it's not because people aren't consuming basketball. It's that if I can go to Instagram and see Kawhi Leonard in Toronto, you know, visiting Toronto, I'm satisfied. And the, the game, you know, has, you know, it, it's, it's part of attention spans. Um, is that something you're conscious of? Is that something that as a, as a unit, you know, the MSG broadcasters, both TV and radio all say we have to make this broadcast more entertaining or does the demographic change? Just take us inside a little bit of what you can in just the idea that people are consuming things all differently. And just because you're not sitting down for two and a half hours to watch a basketball game doesn't make me less of a basketball fan. And the analogy that I make is I'll watch the flash uh, Supergirl and Marvel's agents of shield, but I haven't picked up a comic book in 10 years. Am I not a comic book fan? You know, what I'll say is, and you make a great point in terms of other ways to find content and absorb it all. I'd say, as a play-by-play guy, as an example, you go back four or five years and you might read a promo that's pushing a certain digital studio show or an app, and it felt very new at the time. And you read it and you, you give it its sell, but you're not necessarily registering what it is. And if you fast forward to now, uh, I think you're more conscious of, okay, what are these things we are promoting and talking about? And you hear, hey, I wasn't in New York, but I pulled up the game on MSG Go. You know, that's important. That's a that's an important avenue to stay right locked in to the and, next, as And an that'll example. be my one thing that I will say. Can MSG please get a Apple TV app? Because I airplay the games to my Apple TV from my iPad, and it's an extra step, and it drives me bananas. So MSG... <laughs> Get an Apple TV app to continue. Yeah, well, 
in terms of the game itself. <laughs> I did a podcast with two MSG Network people, and that's the first time I've mentioned that. <laughs> the plea. Uh, but, but I'll say, when the game starts, um, the job stays the same, no matter what it is. It's to entertain, inform, and tell the story. And I think, you know, the perspective for me on the radio, Seth, is you're obviously painting a picture, rich description. You're trying to explain what's happening, but it has to be in a way... Uh, where the listener can digest it all and, and know exactly what's happening. If you're driving the car, yes, yeah, something exciting happens. Uh, you have to attach the score, the time, and they have to, whoever's listening, has to understand exactly what's happening. And I think you have to think like your audience would. Uh, that's the challenge for any announcer. And sure, you, you realize that the world has changed. Uh, people's listening and viewing habits have evolved. Uh, but at the end of the day, your call, the way you tell the story of the game, that never wavers. And I think it evolves, you know, the game evolves, the pace of play, the NBA ha has never been played uh, at a pace like we're seeing right now. Uh, you know, that changes and, and you adapt to it. But the job description doesn't, you know, we're there to give the audience what it wants. Do you get the sense that, um, look, there's always going to be a place for the guy that's in his car on the, you know, on the Queensboro Bridge, uh, you know, heading home to, to the island, uh, listening to the to the Nick game. I mean, there's always going to be a market for that. And with the amount of people that live in New York, there'll always be a number for that. You know what I'm saying? The, it, 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 it's not a dwindling thing. And there's always that. Uh, and I would think from a big market standpoint, New York has a greater reliance on the radio broadcast than some of the smaller market, you know, than Memphis. Right. I'm not saying that Memphis doesn't have traffic, but if you work in downtown Memphis, you probably live within a half hour of downtown Memphis and you are probably not having a two hour commute like some New Yorkers do again in normal times. And so the radio broadcast, I would think is, is, massive it, it, it's it's absolutely massive and the nba the one thing i know and 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 i will tell you because one thing that you made me think of when you were talking about your passion for play-by-play -play, i loved syracuse giving me the opportunity to learn that i didn't want to do play-by-play -play. Mm -hmm. and i learned it really young um i wanted and now i wanted to call syracuse basketball games just because i wanted to say i did it but I don't even have the tapes. I don't know where they are. I called three Syracuse uh, basketball games and I went on. That was it. And I didn't care. <laughs> and I, I was happy to do stats and pre and post. And for football, I was the sideline reporter because I knew it. And there was a summer in 95 where I was the uh, announcer for the single A New York Penn League Auburn uh, Astros affiliate. Of course. And yeah. I loved it. I had so much fun. We had a blast. They hired six of us, and we each did like 35 games. What a great experience. And I met so many wonderful people. Bob Watson, who just passed away, and Manny Acta uh, was our manager. And Julio Lugo was our second baseman. Ramon Castro was our catcher. Like There were, there were some great guys, and we all went to the big leagues. And what I realized, two things. I said, I'll never be able to duplicate that, and that's not what I want my career to be. I knew it. I knew it right then and there. And... I give I, I, I have a testament to people who figure that out because I think that helped me get to where I wanted to be. And I think knowing that you wanted that and you focused on that helped get you to where you wanted to be.
No, I think I would advise anybody who wants to get in the business. It could be another line of work. Uh, you have to try things and see what you don't know, if that makes sense, right? I worked as a PA, as a producer, as a DJ in times past. You know, I filled in as a, a sports anchor uh, early years out of college. Didn't do a ton of sports talk. I don't know if that's for me. Maybe that's... Right, that wasn't you know, your thing. That wasn't you your cup of right. Yeah, exactly. but uh, without a doubt, you can't, you can't just shut a door. I think you have to have an understanding of uh, what the rest of the business is like. I think it also, it probably helped you having called games, knowing what goes into them. As a host, I'm right. sure uh, you know now what guys are looking for and vice versa. And I think understanding the other side of it, uh, being in a truck uh, when I can. I love walking into the TV truck. Um, it's rare before a Knicks game, but I'll go during the preseason uh, because we're not on the radio and watching right, right, right. Spencer and Howie and the whole crew in the truck because sure. you only get so many opportunities to do it, but see what their experience is like because that might help you when you're filling in on television or uh, when you're calling a game anywhere. Uh, it's important to understand other people's commitments because it'll only make you better. It'll make you a better team. Forgive me. Uh, Mike Breen is constantly missing Nick games. Uh, Kenny Albert fills in, but he said he only does about 20 games. How many TV games do you wind up doing? Uh, I'd say two, three, four every regular season or so. The, the last three years since I, since I took the job. It, it, is it that much different? Is it fun? Is it, is it fun because you know your parents are watching and your wife's watching and now your young son's going to watch? But like, is, is there a is there a grand thrill? Because I mean, I, I'm not I'm not I don't think they pay you extra when you do four games on TV. <laughs> so I don't think it's I don't think that's the incentive. Like, is it really that much cooler? Or you know, would you prefer the radio? Is it similar? I don't, I don't know. Tell take me through that experience. You know, I only have one child right now, but that's like being asked to pick your favorite kid, radio okay, or TV. I, I love them both. Uh, obviously, being on the radio with with Brendan for almost every game is is a true thrill. To sit in that seat and, and realize the lineage uh, from Marty to Marv and Mike and everybody else um, is so special. But you know, filling in for Mike and Kenny and sitting next to Clyde and having that vantage point of television is incredibly fun. And it is a thrill. And uh, it's a way to connect to Knicks fans in a different way, obviously. Um, the challenge is, uh, is preparing when you've done 30 straight games on the radio, Seth, you can relate to this, I'm sure. And you make the transition to television. The call is exponentially different and so what, what mm. i find myself doing is uh about two weeks out before i'm set to fill in i won't listen back to any games on the radio obviously you prepare you call it as you always would but i'll start to watch back some of my old games on tv just to to get in my head hey when you're sitting down uh, you don't always have to tag every play with the score. You're not using left and right. You don't have to pinpoint exactly where the ball is, but your timing has to be such where it fits. 
right? You can't feel like you're avoiding calling the game just because you're not on the radio. So I'd say that's where the preparation is is a little different, is kind of getting in that TV mindset when you've called a couple of months straight on the radio. That's the challenge. But that's interesting. It's it's a great thrill uh, to fill in for those guys. It's an honor, and, and obviously uh, working with the entire crew that's done it for so long, and and working with Clyde is 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 really special. Yeah, Clyde Frazier, of course, uh, an, an icon, and Brendan Brown, if I remember correctly, uh, and I've never met Brendan, but he's a Northwestern guy. Yeah, very, he is. We're 90, talking about class of '93. Okay, so he's a little older older than me, so I can do. Why don't we get like a, a, a pickup game? We'll get uh, Northwestern versus Ithaca <laughs> and Syracuse will beat the crap out of Fordham and then we'll have a championship. Like, can let, let's do that. Like that's, and, and we, we can't play just regular basketball. Cause I mean, I I'd be horrible at that. We could play like NBA 2K. Then, we, then could we could do ringers, you know, like, like Northwestern, I, I throw Brendan and Timmy Doyle who played there, but as a broadcaster, uh, Ithaca, you know, Kevin Connors played sure, at, Kevin Connors. Now he's at ESPN. Bruce Beck, who, who's my mentor, uh, has oh, a nice, a nice yeah. shot. Yeah. I mean, I think those two could carry us. Fordham, you have you have Breen, who played at Salesian. So I think there'd be a little competition there if you went straight Newhouse. Okay. Oh, okay. I understand. I understand. <laughs> that, that would be that would be funny. The uh, the funny story about Syracuse and Northwestern, because if you're uh, west of the Mississippi River, the number one journalism school in the country is Northwestern, and if you're east of the Mississippi River, the number one broadcasting school is in um, uh, Syracuse. And a friend of mine, and more so a family friend of mine, is uh, Darren Ravel. Yep. And Dar- I'm not trying to name drop on this podcast. And yes, Darren has said he'd do sports with friends, and I never find the time. Um, he's another one of these busy guys that may be quarantined. Maybe we can get him on. Um, but Darren is a Northwestern guy, and his wife went to college with my wife at Syracuse. So their house is Syracuse and Northwestern. And we, he and I drove up to Syracuse for Syracuse Northwestern football. And we sat in the press box, and we were the only people that cared about this game. <laughs> like Syracuse playing Northwestern, and Tim Kirchin's son was going to Newhouse. And Tim Kirchin comes up and sits by us and says, this is officially the blowhard bowl. Because Mike, Greenbo- Mike Greenberg went to Northwestern, and he was squawking about it. And all these Syracuse guys were doing it. And the funny part about it, he says, this is a rivalry to no one but the broadcasters. But because the broadcasters all care, this is a massive rivalry. And I love to hear Tim it, Kirk, it was, his voice say that. It was so funny. It was, it was hysterical. And that game was such a big game for nobody but us. We cared. And it, it, the rivalry was, was, was really, really funny. Um, yeah. All right. I have to ask one hard-hitting journalism question. So you ready here? You playing defense? Play defense. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Uh, the talk is, is that when sports return without fans, the networks want to pump in crowd sound. How do you feel about that? You know, I'm interested to see if, if that's something they would add, not just the broadcast. Is that something players might want in the gym? I would imagine not. Um, I just think it would sound so fake. Yeah, it's hard. I've done. I've done a lot of games off monitors. Uh, you mentioned 
weightlifting for the Olympics, yeah, that's a little different because, you know, so much now is done remotely um, up in Stanford. But if you go back to. Uh, well, and you haven't told if, if they go to Orlando, you have been told whether you're going or not. No, no, I, I don't. I, I, can't, and I don't think you would. I can't predict. No, I, I have no information on that. You know, full disclosure. Sure. Um, yeah, obviously, the, the ambience is completely different. Um, when there isn't that level of crowd noise, it's just sneakers squeaking, you know, how loud can the natural mic be if guys aren't using uh, the best language? I don't know. Uh, don't know. It, it's hard. But you also have to remember, too, is it a consistent just track of noise? Is there increased noise when something happens? Are you trying to balance out uh, noise when there's a big run versus nothing at all? So it, it, it can be awkward at times if you have this track that doesn't relate to what you're seeing in front of you. Uh, I go back and forth. I, I think naturally it's something that if you've never done it or, hey, it's game one, hypothetically speaking, when the season resumes at a gym with no fans, uh, you're obviously going to be more comfortable and learn a few things by game number five. Uh, so it's hard to say. Uh, obviously, you want some form of ambient noise, uh, especially when there's a big game. That's what drives your energy, and it can drive the players too. Uh, it's a balance because you don't want to fake it, but at the same time, you don't want it to be completely opaque. So I'm, I'm kind of down the middle. Uh, it's a hard one. I think it might take a few games for everyone to figure out what's best. Uh, it, 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 there's no right answer, but it, it's one of those challenges. You know, you're, you're in there and, and you're seeing it. And, you know, I've talked to other people about, you know, whether or not they're going to send broadcasters. And that's one of the things I worry about. I worry about the broadcasters, but the directors, the cameramen, um, the engineers, you know, all of that stuff. You know, do you work with Chris Majkowski? Oh, yeah. Match is our guy. Match, match of the greatest. The greatest. Uh, the absolute greatest. And he, he'd be on that Fordham team, too, in the, uh, in the tournament. I could crush him. <laughs> I traveled for 162 goddamn baseball games with that guy, and he was the only guy I liked talking to. <laughs> he was easy. Uh, uh, one of the nicest human beings in the world. And I think he would not do sports with friends. How come? That would be, I don't know. I, I will ask him. I have never thought to ask him to do sports with friends. He would be the one person that I've never considered. And we've done 250 some odd episodes of the show. I, I've never thought of match. That would be fun. Yeah. You, God, you talk, the stories uh, he could tell. You talk about tough schedules and, and someone who. Bonkers. He must be climbing the walls. He's <laughs> always on the road. Um, it, it must be hard, but he's, you know, Chris Matchkowski, who I think is most identifiable with the Mets radio broadcasts. He sure. engineers Knicks, Rangers. He travels for Giants. St. John's travels St. for Giants. John's and, and numerous other national radio broadcasts. And oh uh, probably, I would imagine if you asked him, I can't confirm this, but if you said, hey, you're the PA voice of Rose Hill Gym. It, it would make it day because he takes such great pride in in that position up at Fordham. Well, the two things that I take away from Madge, and uh, I, we could do the whole show on. You said Mike Breen. I could do a whole Chris Madjkowski story. 
Uh, my favorites are, first of all, if you ever offer to help him break down at the end of the night, he will bark at you and say, get out of my way. That's the best way you can help him because he has a system and it's down and you could be the nicest person in the world and literally just go, Oh, do me a favor. You know, can I, can I help you with a bag or can I help you with a, I'll roll up a wire. And he was like, no, you're out of your mind. And the other one was, he's always quoting random movies. And one movie that I was a fan of that he never saw is clerks. I was a huge Clerks fan, and I just had on the Hall of Justice podcast, I just had Kevin Smith, who wrote Clerks and directed Clerks, and <laughs> the star of Clerks is a guy by the name of Brian O'Halloran, who's a massive Knicks fan, but he's also a big Mets fan, and I met him at City Field when I was working for the Mets, and he, Brian O'Halloran, who played Dante in Clerks, wanted to meet Howie Rose. And I said, I can make that happen. And we go up to the booth and Madge is facing forward as he would in the, in a baseball booth. He's staring right at the field. So he does not see what's behind him. And I said to him, I said, Hey man, uh, you remember that movie clerks that I'm always referencing? And he just says, will you get off clerks already? I'm not seeing clerks enough with clerks. I don't care about clerks you know, in the Madge way, like that yeah. sarcastic way. And I looked at him and smiled and just said, well, the star of it is standing right behind you. And that was the only time I ever saw his face turn red. Uh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Brian was very kind about it. And he turns around and he goes, M M the immortal Chris Madzkowski. <laughs> he goes, nice to meet you. <laughs> so it's so funny how, how, the, how that works though. Um, because, <laughs> You have this guy, this actor who you love his show, and he comes to the booth, and it's he wants to meet Howie Rose. Right. He wants to meet Madge. Right. It's so funny. I think the admiration you have for people in other professions or other lines of entertainment is is great. It's always a real thrill to meet somebody who loves your work, but at the same time, you you enjoy watching them on a whole different level. And Brian grew up in New Jersey, and his the character he plays in Kevin Smith's movies based in New Jersey, and he's a Ranger fan, and that drives me bananas. Next time I see Madge, I'm going to put my arm around him and say, you know what? I've never seen Clerks either, which is... <laughs> no, remember. No, remember. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he is, he's one of the nicest human beings in the world. And that's one of the cool things that I hope that, you know, when I created this podcast, one of the things... I wanted to convey is I, I want, I had two goals. Number one, I wanted people to feel like they knew me. Yeah. I want a listener who listens to this show to feel like they know who I am and what I'm about. And secondly, that there are really good people in this industry and that's what this is. And you are a testament to that. I root for people's success like that. I, there's so much uh, egocentric behavior there's so many jerks in this business and oh god i could do a whole that that would be a fun episode just all the people i can't stand but I, but i would never say publicly you know that would be a great podcast that i would never post but just the idea that there are such good people out there and it's easy to root for good people and i've said that on time and time again on this show but it's true and uh just continued success 
uh, great. Uh, congratulations on, on, on the, on the kid. This is a strange time to have a kid. And I just was wondering when, when COVID struck and everything happened, she was due, like she was coming up on her due date. How nerve wracking was that? Well, it was unique times without a doubt. Um, he actually arrived, uh, our, our son arrived two weeks early, but, uh, you know, it was a wave of emotions leading up to when he actually came. Uh, you know, there was a time three or four days when it didn't look like I would be admitted into the hospital for the delivery. It was just, yeah, that, right. Mother. That was hard. And then after a few days of preparing for, this is what it's going to be. We have to be ready. Uh, governor Cuomo, uh, issued an executive order saying that a partner has to be allowed in. So, you know, the greatest moment of that was big. That my was life, big. our lives. Yeah. So I think if anything, when something like that does happen, you become very grateful uh, for what you have. Uh, and even if it's not under normal circumstances, you know, Ben's a healthy boy. We have all this time with him. Uh, think about that. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, he misses being with grandparents now and friends and other people taking him out of his bassinet and holding him for the first time. All of that stuff uh, will come. But uh, with that said, we, I think you cherish those moments even more uh, during a time like this because people are hurting and there's no question. Every person in the country and beyond. I don't know someone who in some way has not been impacted by all of this, whether it's people in, in our position, people with their jobs, uh, you know, let alone, you know, someone who's had COVID-19 or, or, you know, someone who's passed. It's, it's touched everybody and impacted our way of life, life in, in ways, you know, two months ago. No one could have predicted this, uh, but we're, we're grateful, Seth. I mean, it's, you know, every day we, we look at him, he, he's, he can't really smile yet, but he kind of has that look like he wants to. Uh -huh. It's, it's the best. It really is. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll end this uh, with, with what, the only thing I can impart. Uh, number one, you do as many night feedings as you can. Let the lady <laughs> sleep, yes. uh, especially when now that you're not traveling. Um, but I remember, uh, I was working for Fox sports uh, radio. I was working for MLB when my kid was born, but I was, you know, doing, you know, covering stuff for Fox sports radio. And I went on uh, shortly after my kid was born and one of the hosts, and he's actually a really good guy, Sean Farnham. And he did nothing wrong. Uh, Sean Farnham, who's now at ESPN, he's on the show. And he said, so what's your kid's uh, favorite team going to be? And I said, well, as a representative of Major League Baseball, I have no bias whatsoever. So what I'm going to do is I'll take all 30 hats and put them in a circle. And as soon as she's uh, ready to crawl, whatever hat she crawls to, that's her team. And I said, good luck, Kansas City Royals. <laughs> and people in Kansas City were so mad at me. <laughs> wow. like, and Twitter, I had not joined Twitter then, uh, but I did. I. Social media was just starting, but people were calling in and people were yelling at the radio station. They were like, how can you, why can't she be a Kansas City Royal fan? There's no harm in being a Kansas City Royal fan. And I'm like, I like the Royals. I have no, I was just kidding. It was, uh, th that's what I remember. So your kid is going to be a Nick fan. I can promise you that. 
I have a good sense that 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 will be the case. Uh, we might steer him towards the Yankees, but listen, if for some reason he wants to be his own man, hey, well, I think that's let him? All right. we will do as much as we can. Good luck, but Miami Marlins. At some point, he he has to be his own person. How's that for six weeks in? Yeah, that's a, that, that's that's a politically correct answer. How can people find you on social media? Uh, at Ed Cohen Sports on Twitter. Uh, I'm really not an Instagram guy, so that's probably your best bet. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter will work just fine. Uh, he's a good follow on 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 Twitter, and uh, he he does a great job on the Nick broadcast. And uh, look, there's so many things we didn't even cover. Uh, which is pretty amazing uh, in, in any in any podcast. Uh, but uh, our thanks to Ed Cohen for uh, for joining us here. And uh, as we say after every episode, if there's anything in this podcast that you heard that you have any issues with whatsoever, Ed Cohen's on social media. Reach out to him and leave me the hell out of it. Uh, Ed, continued success. Uh, let's get you calling games soon. And how about this? I always wanted to have you on the show, but I thought we would do it courtside at madison square garden like two hours before a game with the ball bouncing in the background that's how i envision this podcast so how about this when we get back to arenas let's do it there seth i'm sorry for big timing you all these years it was a pleasure and uh i would jump at the chance to uh to be courtside and and do this interview once again that'd be great that's Ed Cohen. This is Sports with Friends. Who knows who we're going to have next week. Uh, do me a favor. Please still stay safe. Do what you can to help get rid of this thing so we can all go back to normal. And I know you're anxious, and I know that you want everything to go, but let's not get anybody else sick. Please. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I got to be me You'll never be in doubt That's what it's all about You can't take me for granted and smile Count on grace, I'm gone Forget reaching me by phone Because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see me again I hope that you have been The kind of person Taking up my